Well, good morning. It is wonderful to have you at our live service in Passage West uh, this morning. Thank you so much for joining us and tuning in, especially if it's your first time tuning in to anything like this. Can I just say you are more than welcome? No one need know that you're here, but we are glad uh, that you are here. I want you all to take this opportunity as well to say hi to one another as if you're coming into church. But if you want to remain anonymous, by all means, uh, do so. Maybe say hi to one another. Some people um, in other churches have been taking pictures of themselves as they've been watching in and putting it in the comments. So if you'd like to do that, that would be great to see. As I've been thinking about the service, I thought to myself, I could not just start this, this service in any normal way. Because I know that there are a lot of people going through some very hard times right now. And so I cannot just start the service in the normal way as, as if nothing is happening to people. Because there are a lot of things happening to people. What some of you watching may not know is that we in Passage West Baptist are very much a part of um, another church community. A bigger church community called Douglas Baptist Church. They are our family and we are their family. And in our family, there is another family called uh, the Mercado family who are going through some great trials and difficulties right now. And I won't go into all the details, uh, but I will say this. They're the husband and father in the family. His name is Rod, and he is a nurse working in the CUH. And so we want to pray for him. He's going through some difficulties right now. And so we, we want to lift him up and we praise God uh, that things have looked better since yesterday. But we are going to continue to pray for him. And I would also like to take this opportunity to pray for all of the frontline workers that we have. Um, in the past number of weeks, the Mercados have been uh, watching in and, and checking in with us. And so uh, you may have heard me mention them. And so what I want to do is take just a minute or two at the start of our service to pray for those people. Now, you may not be a praying person. You may not be a praying person this morning. But I would just ask you to uh, maybe respect this time and listen into the words and let us pray together. Uh, for all of those working in the front line, and especially uh, for the Mercado family. So let us begin our service in prayer. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you with all our burdens and our anxieties. And we know, as 1 Peter 5 says, that we can cast all our anxieties on you because you care for us. And Lord, I pray that we will know your great care for us this morning. I pray for all of the frontline workers, especially those close to home in the CUH. I pray that you lead them, guide them, protect their hands um, in all that is going on. And we think of the Mercado family right now, Lord, all of them. Lord, we lift them before you. We lift especially Rod before you this day. Thank you for some better news yesterday. And we pray uh, that that news would continue. And Lord, that your will would be done. And so, Lord, as we come to you in, in worship this morning, we pray that your name would be glorified and you would be honored in all that is said and done. To the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so how we're going to begin our service this morning is we're going to have a reading from Romans 10. Anne is going to do that reading for us. And then we are going to sing all praise to him. And then after that, we will go into the Bible. So let's have the reading from Romans chapter 10. Reading from Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 16. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then can they call on the one they had not believed in? And how can they believe in the one who they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ.
Well, good morning again. And can I just say, I'm so glad uh, that all of you are here and have a chance to look at the Word of God with us, especially uh, the children. We have sent the children a video on Friday. Maybe they can watch that together right now. Or else we have also sent uh, these sheets out as they're listening to the message that they can um, pull these up and, and have a look at these. Um, so hopefully um, some of your children can, can benefit from that. Uh, this morning. And also, I'd like you to take the opportunity again, do say hi to one another. And also, as we proclaim this good news, we've been looking at our great God, our great creator. And then we've been looking at our big problem, our sin. And, and then we were looking at our glorious Christ. And now this morning, we want to look at our response. We must respond to the good news. And so one of the things I would love uh, you to consider doing is, is clicking again that start button right now so that we can share uh, this message out to the world of the good news of Jesus. So let us take the time uh, to do those things now and share out this message of the good news uh, with others. As I've been thinking about this uh, message this morning, I've been thinking about important words in life. And a lot of us, we speak words, many words in life, but not all of those words are as important as the other words. And so I started to think, when do we speak the most important words that we speak in life? And there's various different times in life that you speak the most important words that you will speak. But I think one of the times, or at least two of the times, are our first words and our last words. Our most important words tend to be our first words and our last words. And some of you are watching in right now and you have little babies watching in with you and, and they're not able to speak uh, right now. And you as parents, you're wondering, what are their first words going to be? Uh, is it going to be daddy or is it going to be uh, mummy or um, is it going to be some random word where we're not going to write in one of those baby memory books or, or what kind of word, what will their first word be? Because we know and think the first words are important. They are. And so this morning, I would like you to think on the first words of Jesus, not his first words as a baby, not maybe his first recorded words when he was 12. But I want you to think of the first words of his public ministry. You see, largely in Jesus' life, Jesus stayed silent for uh, 30 years, roughly. And so after staying silent for 30 years, he, he came into public and he began teaching and, and preaching. He began his public ministry. So one of the things we need to figure out is, well, what words do you start with? Because the words that he started with have got to be really important words. If he waited almost 30 years before saying them, then the first words that would come out of his mouth, mouth would be important for us to hear, wouldn't they? And so what I want you to do is hear the very first words of Jesus. And the very first words of Jesus are going to tell us what our response to the good news should be. They are found in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It says this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. These were the first words of Jesus. He came into his public ministry and he shared these very first words with everybody to hear. And they were these. Repent and believe 
the gospel. This is our response. This should be your response this morning and my response this morning. Because many of us know and act and, and see that, that, that Jesus is, you know, a good teacher, a, a good moral teacher. And maybe some of you are watching and thinking, oh, he's a good example to, to follow. But what we forget is his very first words. And his first words are this to everybody watching and everybody hearing. His first words, Jesus' words were, repent and believe in the gospel. This is what he was consumed with. This was his message. So then we have to ask, what does it mean to repent and what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to truly repent of our sin? I want you to imagine right now that you um, decide to yourself, um, you know, I'm going to go and visit visit my cousin. I haven't seen him in a while. And so I'm just going to get in the car and you, you get in the car and you, you type in in the sat nav where he lives. He lives in, in Dublin. And so you, you start to drive um, and you get in your car and you're driving to your cousin. How far do you think you would get right now? If you were to go up to him to, to Dublin and try and make that journey, how far do you think you'd get right now? Well, you wouldn't get very far, would you, because of the restrictions? You may get as far as the tunnel. Will you get to the motorway? Who knows? But you certainly won't get to Dublin. And what will happen is as you start driving there, as you start going that way, you know you're going the wrong way. You know you're going where you're not supposed to be going. And then the guard would pull you over and he would ask you the question, where are you going? And you would tell him and he would say this, turn around and go home. Turn around and go home. This is a small inadequate picture of what repentance is. You are going the wrong way in life. And that way, if you continue to go that way, Jesus says the end of that road is eternity in hell. And so the, the reality is what we as Christians are trying to do to say to the world is you're going the wrong way. Turn around. You're not supposed to be going this way. Turn around. And that's what repentance means. Repentance is calling on you and me to turn around and turn away from our sin. But you know, the thing is, we will not turn around unless we see the seriousness of the situation. We won't turn around unless we see the seriousness of our sin. There is no way you will turn around unless you see the seriousness of your sin. And so I've been reading a book recently by a guy called George Swinnock. It was written in the, the 1600s and he's writing about the glories of God. And it's just an excellent, excellent book. And um, in it, he talks about the reality of our sin. And he talks about two things that I think we need to remember in relation to our sin. He talks about the magnitude of our sin and the madness of our sin. Now, I've changed those words slightly, but this is what he talks about, the magnitude and the madness of our sin. And so what I want you to think about first is the magnitude of our sin. What I mean by that is how big and serious our sin really is. Think about the magnitude of your sin right now. Because often when we think of sin, we only see uh, this world's consequences to sin. 
We only see our sin in terms of this world's consequences, or our sin in terms of how we hurt others, or our sin in terms of how we hurt ourselves, or our sin in terms of how we are breaking the law. And we think that is the seriousness of our sin. But our sin is so much more serious than that. Why? Because our sin isn't against a human be another human being. Our sin isn't merely against ourselves. Our sin isn't merely against the law. Our sin is against the infinite, majestic, all-powerful God Almighty. And that enhances the magnitude of our sin. You see, it is one thing to push your friend. It is another thing to push a king. It is one thing to lie to your sister. It is another thing to lie to a judge. It is one thing to sin against a human being. It is a whole other thing to sin against your creator, God Almighty. If he is infinitely glorious, then our sin against him is infinitely big. And so that is the magnitude of our sin. We must turn, but also we must see the madness of our sin. Our sin is utterly crazy. Can you imagine if me as, as a lone um, human being were, were to come up to an army of, of men and women and they were all armed, maybe about 200 or 300 of them and I was unarmed and I walked up to them. What do you think? I would be if I started to say, listen, I can take all these people on. And if I started to try and battle that army of men and women, you would call me mad. It is absolute madness to consider I could win that argument or I could win that battle. Our sin against God, it is rebellion. In other words, in our sin, we are, are trying to fight against God. And we sometimes in our pride think that we can win. But God is so much bigger than any army. He is bigger than armies upon armies. He is bigger than multitudes of armies. To go uh, to sin against him is to sin against the almighty, powerful God. And it is utter madness. And so when we see the magnitude and the madness of our sin, oh, we should repent. Because the result of our sin, the punishment of our sin, is hell. And so we should turn. And our sin in the scriptures, our sin should cause us grief. And if our sin causes us true and godly grief, it is then that we too will repent. I want you to consider the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 9. Paul says this, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Now listen to this. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You see, there's two types of grief. There is godly grief over sin, which leads to repentance. And there is this worldly grief that leads to death. 
And you see, that tells us something about what our repentance should really look like. Our repentance should properly grieve us. You see, it is not enough to just feel sorry about our sin and sorry about the consequences of our sin. That is not enough. It is not enough to just feel guilty about our sin or feel bad about our sin. That is not enough. What true repentance is, what godly grief is, is a real brokenness over our sin. That our sin has, has, has grieved God, that our sin led Christ to the cross and he bore our sin. If he died for our sin on that cross, that tells us something about our sin. And so you and I must turn from our sin today. It is a true brokenness over our sin and a turning from it away from that. And so even as we think of our response this morning to the gospel, our response should be repentance. But even as we've been thinking about this pandemic, it's been on our minds so much. Do you know what our response to the pandemic should be? I think our right response should be one of repentance. You know, there are many um, self-made philosophers right now who are saying they know why this thing is happening. Or some um, maybe um, more ignorant Christians are trying to explain away what God is doing in all this. And the reality is, can we just humble ourselves and say we don't fully know, but we know that God is doing something? No matter what worldview you have right now, you don't fully know what is going on. But I believe that a right response to this tragedy, to this pandemic, to what is going on, would be repentance. And let me tell you why. Because Jesus had a response to two tragedies in his life. And the tragedies were this. Pilate had killed a whole load of Galileans. And then this tower fell on 18 people and they were killed. And I want you to hear what Jesus' response to these two tragedies were. Because it tells us a lot about his perspective on these things. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 13, verse 2. Do you think that these Galileans who are killed by Pilate, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What Jesus is saying here is he's not answering the why question of, of why did this happen? What he is doing is he is answering the what question. What should you do in response to this tragedy happening? And the what question, Jesus answers in this way. You should repent or you too will perish. And then in response to the tower that fell on the 18 people, he says this. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. In response to that tragedy, Jesus doesn't answer the why question, but he does answer the what question. What must you do in response to this? You too must turn and repent of your sin or you too, my friend, will perish. 
That is what Jesus is calling us to do. And so I would ask you this morning, if you are not a Christian and have never, ever thought about this stuff. Can I just say to you. That you know you, you know your mind, you know your life, you know that there is something wrong and the Bible would call that sin. And so what Jesus is calling you to do is repent of that sin. Turn from that. Trust in him. But even for the Christians watching this, I know what you're thinking. You're, you're probably thinking, well, I hope this person is listening or I hope that person is listening or I hope they're getting convicted right now as you sit in the room with them. But let me tell you this. Is there sin in our lives? You can absolutely believe it. And the person you are sitting next to right now, they know it too. We as Christians, we don't live perfect lives. I had a, I had a non-Christian friend of, of mine ask me that when I was telling him to repent of, of his sins. He was saying to me, so what you're saying is that you are perfect. Is that it? And I need to repent and that you have got it all together. And I said, no, no, I don't have it all together. I, too, need to live a life of repentance. And so in terms of salvation, there is a one time um, repentance and turning from our sin. But as we walk in salvation, there is a continual life attitude of repentance. This is why I miss so much being with you guys on Sunday morning. One of the things I miss so much is the Lord's Supper together. I miss taking that together. And I also miss the unique opportunity in my week to come before the Lord and keep short account and repent of my sin. Even this week, I, I realized how I, how I had wronged someone and I had to call them and, and repent of my sin. So I'd ask you to do that. Repent before the Lord and repent before others. We must turn. But that is only half of the picture. Because there is another part of this picture. Not only must we repent, but what did Jesus say in his first words? Believe. We must believe. We must have faith. So true repentance is this whole package turning from our sin and turning to our Savior. We must respond in belief. We must respond in faith. But as we think of faith and belief, you and I both know that there are loads of different opinions about what that means. And to be honest, in this world, we've got great confusion about what faith actually means. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it truly mean to have faith? I think of uh, this time um, I was with my kids, you know, me as a dad, I get this um I get this notion that I can, you know, mind all my kids at the same time. You know, I, I see my wife do it with my three kids and she's so good at it. So I think, you know, I can take them out. I can mind them myself. I've got this, you know. And um, one of the things I love to do is, is take them out to a playground. But I know I've got to figure out a strategy because it is three on one in the playground. And so I've got to figure it out. What am I going to do? And so I remember us being up the, the north um, a couple of years back and I, I decided to take them all to the playground. You know, I've, I've got this. And, and here's my strategy. What I do is I take the three kids to the playground and I, I go one on one with the youngest one. And I leave the other two run off on their own. 
as long as the youngest one is safe, then maybe the other two will be okay. And all I do with the other two is I just wait for a scream. And then whenever there's a scream, then I know I'm in, in daddy mode with them and I can run over to them. Well, one time I was doing my strategy, looking after the, the youngest one, and I, I heard a scream. And so I ran, and there was this kind of um, uh, rope um, climbing frame. It was this big, massive rope climbing frame. And, and my boy, my son, he had, he had climbed up halfway, but he was screaming because he was stuck and he was about to fall. And so he was screaming for me to come and get him. So I climbed up as much as I could, and I, I reached out to get him. And I, and I said to him, Simi, come on, you, you can come. Come and jump into my arms. He had to jump a little bit to get into my arms. And so at that moment, my boy had to decide, am I going to hold on to this rope and trust myself to save myself? Or am I going to let go and trust in my daddy? Am I going to trust his word? Am I going to trust what he is saying to me? I've seen him in the past. He's been faithful. He hasn't really let me down too much in the past. Maybe he can catch me now. What did my boy do? He left go of the rope. He trusted in daddy. And daddy caught him. This is a small picture of faith. So many of us are trying to save ourselves and hold on to the rope and cling closely onto our good deeds or our sin. But what we're asked to do is leave go of all of that and trust totally in Jesus. Put our total faith and trust in him, believing in him so that we might have eternal life. And so what this gives us is the most wonderful picture of what faith truly is. In Hebrews 1, 11, 1, we are given the actual definition of faith. It says this, Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You see, this is a, a totally different picture of what we think faith is. See those two words. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is assurance and faith is conviction. I am assured that if my God has promised me something on the basis of all he has done in the past, I can be assured that he will do it in the future. I am, I am convicted of things not seen, not because um, I have not seen them, but because I've seen all that God has done in the past. And so I trust him for the future. And what this tells us about faith is something quite significant. Faith is not biblical faith, is not blind faith. It is not a leap in the dark. It is assurance and conviction that God is going to do what he says he is going to do because he has done it in the past and I believe in him for the future. This is what faith is. It is not blind. And also it tells us something else about faith. The faith isn't the amount of faith that we have. Faith is total trust and belief in another. 
My boy didn't have trust and belief in his own strength. He had trust and belief in my strength and my abilities to catch him and hold him. And so that is what faith is. It is assurance and conviction of God's power and who God is and not something about us. It is all about faith in him. And the third thing we realize about faith is not only that it is not blind, not only that it is not the amount of faith that we have, but faith is also not just merely mind knowledge about God. You see, in Ireland, I think many people will call themselves Christians. Right now, some of you may be watching and you may be calling yourself a Christian. Why? Because you go to church or you, you do something else or, or you exhibit these, this knowledge about God. I, I know about God. But it is not enough in faith to just know about God. Listen to what it says in James 2.19. James says this. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What James is saying there is that faith has action to it. You can't just have a, a knowledge about God. You must, you must believe and trust and live for God with your life. Because there is a certain type of knowledge belief that even the devil has or even the demons have. No, we need a true trusting faith. Faith is trust. It is reliance. It is belief. It is dependence on the faithfulness of God. It is not depending on the faithfulness of ourselves, but on the true faithfulness of God. We trust in him wholeheartedly. You know, for some of us this morning, I believe that we truly know that there is something wrong in our lives. I believe that we truly know that there is something wrong in our lives. This is why we try and be the best person that we can possibly be. Because I think somewhere deep down, we know we're not actually really that good before God. I think deep down, we know that there's something wrong. And so we try and fix it by being the best person we can be, but we're still holding on to the rope. It's not going to save us. That's one of the reasons I think so many of us try and be as, as spiritual as we can be. Go to church and pray and go to confession and try and do all these things. Try and be as spiritual as we can be because we know there's something wrong. But all we're doing right now is holding on to the rope. We try so hard to stop doing all the bad things that we're doing. Because we know that it is wrong and we try with all our effort and all our might to save ourselves, but we're still holding on to the rope. What Jesus is saying to you is let go of the rope. Stop trying and start trusting in him. Here's what Jesus would say to you. He gives this picture and it's the last verse I'll read to you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. He says these simple words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here is what Jesus is saying to you. Stop trying to do all these things and come to me. I will give you rest. Trust in me and I will give you rest. Let go of the rope and stop trying to save yourselves and I will give you rest. I have died for you on the cross. I have borne your sin that you might be free, that it might be removed as far as the east is from the west. I rose from the dead that I could promise you eternal life. I seated at the right hand of the Father because my work is done. And now I am interceding for you. I am speaking on your behalf so that you no longer have to speak on your own behalf. I am speaking on your behalf. You alone. And so what I'm calling you to do right now is come. Come to me, trust in me, and you might say to me, you don't know all the bad things that I've done. That doesn't matter. He says, come, repent of your sin now and come. You might say to me, well, I don't really go to church anymore. He's saying to you, that doesn't matter. Come to me, trust in me. You might say to me, I'm not a Baptist. He doesn't care about that. What he's calling you to do is, is come and believe in him by faith. Turn from your sin and come to him. You might say, I didn't really understand everything you've been saying this morning or, or I've only just tuned in. It, that doesn't matter. He's telling you now, right now, to come to him and he will give you rest. Come. You might be saying, watching in, you might be listening as your mommy and daddy are watching in. You might be eight years old. And yet he still says to you, come, turn from your sin, come and trust in me. You might have been a believer for years. Maybe you've lost sight of the glorious gospel. And he still says to you, my friend, come and I will give you rest. These are Jesus' words to you this morning. Repent and believe in the gospel. And I would like to give each and every one of you that opportunity this morning to turn from your sin and to trust in him. You may not have all the right words. You may not know all of what you need to say. But what he is asking you to do is turn and trust in him. And so as we play this song, we're going to play a song, and this is going to be a time of reflection. Maybe some of you had verses come to mind that you want to share. Maybe some of you had questions or thoughts, reflections that you wanted to say in response to what you've heard. Take this time to do that right now. Take this time to turn from your sin. I don't care whether you're in the car watching this or in the kitchen or on your couch or wherever you might be. I don't care who you're with right now. Jesus is speaking to you. He's calling you to come. 
So I'd ask you, friend, do that right now as we play the song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his
Well, good morning. Um, good to have you here this morning and good to have uh, many responses uh, to these um, to these uh, song or to this song and to uh, the sermon this morning. So let's say um, some hellos to everybody who's here. It is wonderful to have you join us. Uh, the Keatings with us. Great to see you, Jetta and Sue Ellen. I'll say these quickly. My wife, I can see that is not me. I'm not typing at the same time. My wife and the kids. So good to have you <laughs> uh, with us. Um, the Keatings, of course, Valerie, the Mercados. Uh, we prayed for you at the start of the service. I hope uh, you were able to see that and we continue in prayer uh, for you guys. And I just wonder if it would be a, a good thing um, for some of you to affirm uh, just to the Mercados, even now uh, that you're praying for them, you can leave uh, those comments in there and just say that you are, are praying for them and, and thinking of them. Sam, great to have you here uh, from Hamilton Road. I just saw a photo this morning that this time last year, uh, we had all of you guys um, over for dinner for the, the egg hunt, and we miss having you guys there. For those of you from Passage, uh, Hamilton Road are the church that usually help us with the egg hunt and, and all that goes on in Easter, the Good Friday service and Easter Sunday. So, so wonderful uh, to have you here. Um, um, Sam with us. Um, the Blanchards, great to have you. Our neighbours, uh, Dad, hope hope you're there with, with Mum as well. Good to have you. Uh, Kimberly, uh, just listening as I drive. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Great to have you, Kimberly and, and Dermot and uh, Brendan and Evelyn. Danny, um, hopefully you're with, with the others uh, watching in. Great to see you guys. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in. Hannah, uh, Florence, good to have you. Wonderful to have you uh, this morning. Delighted that through technology you can join us. Maro, Eliana and the kids, good to have you as well. Claire, Debbie, um, fantastic. Steve uh, writes, um, the right and left steps of Christian repentance or of of the Christian life are repentance and faith over and over again. Yeah, exactly right. The right and the left steps of faith are, repent, are repentance and faith over and over again. That is, that is what our Christian faith looks like. And what I want you to, to remember in these two things, in, in repentance and faith, is it's not just like I take one step of repentance and, and then I take the step of faith. No, in salvation, these two things happen at the same time. I am repenting of my sin and I'm trusting in Jesus. I am trusting in Jesus and I'm repenting of my sin. One thing does not happen without the other. We must repent and we must believe. We must trust in him. And the other words you can use for faith are faith, belief, reliance, dependence, trust. It's that type of thing. You're actually doing something, putting your faith and trust in him turning and depending on him, like Steve says here. Uh, Andrew, um, every step is taken with Jesus. He walks with us. It is a daily thing until we finish the race. It is a daily thing until we finish the race. And some scriptures come to mind as um, Andrew shares that, because our Christian faith is so daily. What's so hard about this pandemic right now is that it is just happening day after day after day after day, and it does not feel like it's going to stop. 
And so for the Christian, what that means is that we live by faith, in repentance and faith, during this pandemic, how long? Day after day after day after day. Here's what it says in Luke 9.23. And, and he said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The Christian life is a life that is lived daily. I'm denying myself daily. That does not mean that I'm saving myself daily, or that does not mean that I'm contributing to my salvation daily. What that means is I'm walking by faith daily, step by step in him. It is a daily walk. And I'm also reminded of, of Hebrews now, when we think of this perseverance that we're supposed to have as Christians in faith at this time, it says this in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, uh, every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so what we are doing in faith is we are persevering in faith. And so you've got chapter 11, which talks about all these people of faith who lived by faith in the, in, on the basis of all God had done. They were believing in him for the future and they continued on living by faith. And so I think right now what we are called to do is continue on in endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He endured sufferings and hardships and lived this life. And so since we're surrounded by those great cloud of witnesses, all in chapter 11, let us continue the race in faithfulness to him. Good morning from afar, Tom and um, Joan. Great to have you. Um, Johnny uh, Bruton asks two questions. Can you give a sample prayer of how someone might repent and ask for forgiveness? Can you give sample prayer of how someone might repent and ask for forgiveness? That's a really um, good question. As I think of of that question, I'm reminded of um, Acts 16, uh, the Philippian jailer. Um, he had brought uh, Paul into prison. He had locked them into prison. He came to them and he said they had broken out of prison. The Lord had released Paul and Silas in Acts 16. And then um, in Acts 16, verse 30, it says this. He brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So the idea there is that um, he's asking, what, what am I going to do to be saved? And Anne, in her reading before, she said, well, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so that is the question that we ask. What must I do to be saved? And one of the examples of prayer I would give is that idea 
of repentance and faith. Here's the prayer. Jesus, I turn from my sin. And Jesus, I am trusting in you with my whole life. I want to live for you and you alone. And I think the prayer, that prayer can be that simple. I don't think it's a formula thing, but I think it is a way in which we can confess to Jesus and turn from our sin. So that is a great question. Is there somewhere where people can ask questions but might not want to ask them here? Another, another fantastic one. Well, listen, what I'll do right now, Steve, you can probably do this um, online. Could you put my phone number up there right now? Uh, my phone number is 086-070-3617. 086-070-3617. And if we can get that up on the screen, I don't know if that's possible. Um, I would love to chat with you. 086-070-3617. Just send a quick text if you have any questions on any of that um, going on um, this morning. <laughs> Sam, again, uh, Yuri, lovely shirt. Thanks, man. <laughs> um, Julia and the Blanchards, they're praying for Rod and Michelle. Yes, um, that is fantastic to hear that you're praying. Um, uh, the Herricks here again, thank you for joining us from Tralee. Uh, Sam, you share, um, in this pandemic, um, the best thing we can do is let go in order to let God. So as you're saying, living in faith today is each day as a step trusting God's sovereignty despite man's uncertainty and in short time, but an unshakable hope and joy. And so, yeah, what we're doing is, is we're trusting in God. Um, and we just need to be careful with, with some of those terms, the, the letting go and, and the letting God. We're, we're trusting in, in God's sovereignty um, by faith and believing in him by faith. Um, apparently, I'm praying for Rod and Michelle. I am. <laughs> uh, that's the comment left by Luana. And then um, the O'Briens, I'll finish with this. Um, comment from the O'Briens in uh, John 6, um, 68. John 6, 68. Um, John 6, 68. Oh, I'm so glad you said this. This is great. Um, I'll, I'll read actually from 66 to 69. After this, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus was saying, you know, you have to, you have to believe in me and trust in me. I am the bread of life and you have to give all. And it was too much uh, for those disciples who were following him at the time. So many of them just turned away and, and couldn't stand it. So they turned, turned away and walked away from Jesus. And then in verse 67, Jesus says these words. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go his way, away as well? See, Jesus gives that option. Do you want to walk away as well? Would you believe and trust in him or do you want to walk away? If you want to walk away, that is up to you. But then he says, uh, verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else can we go, Peter says. 
Jesus says, do you want to go? Peter comes back and he says, where else can we go? We can go nowhere else because you have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. We can go nowhere else. We only have your word. And you have probably asked that question in this pandemic as you're stuck at home. Where else can we go? We're stuck at home. We can go to the garden. We can go to our living room. We can go to this other room. Where else can we go? I would say to you, while you have time, we have no excuse. Let us go to the one who has the word of life. Let us go to Jesus. Let us repent of our sin and turn from it and trust in him, depending and relying on him for our faith. What we're going to do now is um, Brendan, uh, one of the leaders um, in the church, is going to close us in prayer. Thank you so much for joining this morning, and we will close in prayer together. God bless you. Thank you so much, Shane, for the reminder, not just today, but indeed over the last number of weeks of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on us to understand what we have heard this morning and to act on it. Almighty God, we praise you that you are a holy God, holy beyond our understanding and glorious in all your ways. Indeed, Lord God, you are terrifying in your very holiness and that you abhor sin so much, and every one of us is a sinner. But you are also a merciful God, and that is why we praise you so much for what we have heard and ask that you would help us to act on it. Gracious God, we live in a world that is haunted by fear and by death these very days. The whole land is aware of the fact that death is all around us and every one of us one day will die and all of us are sinful and as a result sin and death hold great fear for us. We are sinners by nature, we are sinners by practice but we thank you Lord God that you have not abandoned us, you have not abandoned this world and those of us who are inhabiting it. You have sent Jesus he who is the perfect Son of God, who should not have suffered death because he was perfect and had no sin, and yet he did die. But in doing so, he died for sinners. He died as our substitute, and that is our hope. And we're reminded by Peter in his letter when he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And that is the good news for men. Help us to understand these things, Lord God, but not just to understand them, because we need to act on them. We need to realise that we must turn from self and from sin to follow Jesus, to repent with all our heart and soul. And I pray that all who are listening this morning would turn from their sin and follow Jesus wholeheartedly, O oh God, in your holiness, forgive us. Forgive us that we are sinners. Thank you that you are merciful and enable us to turn from that sinful practice, that sinful way, and live for Christ alone and follow him. Thank you, Lord, that those sin and suffering have indeed taken hold of this world, and as a result, we all will face death. But we need not fear death, because, O oh God, in your Son, the Lord Jesus, 
he overcame death and he defeated it completely. And if we are in Christ, we need not have any fear. Thank you, Lord God, for such good news. I pray, Father, for all who are hearing it this morning, that message, that if they are not yet followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, if they have not surrendered their life to him and asked him to be Lord of their lives, that everyone who has heard the words Shane has spoken, the good news, the glorious gospel, would turn from self and from sin and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of their lives. And all this I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, who is Lord of all, and who loves us with his undying love. Amen.